Welcome, welcome everyone to The Enthusiast Life. I am your host, Mark Turcott. I'm so glad each and every one of you have decided to make me a part of your day. Well, my friends, it is Monday, July 26th, 2021. Hopefully you had a good weekend. I know we sure did here. We kind of had our last hurrah uh, before my kids go back to school. Actually, today, literally minutes ago here before I recorded this, sent them off to school. They went with my wife, who uh, works at the school as well. This is the first time in a year and a half that they're going back to school. We've had them kind of remote this whole time. So uh, kind of interesting, kind of a little crazy, you know, shuffle this morning trying to get everybody ready to go. Uh, but uh, it's 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 nice to be back to some normalcy. And, you know, I think it's going to be good for them uh, to be back in the classroom as much as they <laughs> as much as they don't want to be going. I think it's it's good. Uh, but yeah, so they are on their way to their first day. So this weekend, we just kind of hung out, chilled. Saturday was a pretty busy day, just kind of getting everything, you know, getting all the supplies and doing all that stuff. And then yesterday, we all just kind of hung out and uh, didn't really do much. That was kind of yesterday's plan. Uh, I know I played way too much Pokemon Unite this weekend. The game is uh, completely captivated me. I know I was kind of talking about it on the podcast the other day. Hooked up with a bunch of my patrons even over this weekend, kind of throughout playing a lot of games. Um, again, if you haven't played that game, you're interested in MOBAs at all, go check it out. Pokemon Unite is just stupid fun, I think is the right, <laughs> right way to say it. I'm having way too much fun with that game, I think. Uh, but it, it's a good time. Uh, but today on the show, I do want to talk about some good streaming stuff uh, we watched over this past weekend. Of course, Masters of the Universe did release kind of the the new He-Man series, if you want to say. Uh, but if you notice, there is no He-Man in the title of this. This is just Masters of the Universe Revelations. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, also watch some Behind the Attraction over on Disney+, and a little documentary that I think some of you might be interested in. We're going to talk about that at the end. But a little bit of housekeeping here, as always. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Turk, at M-A-R-K-T-U-R-C. And, of course, you can always email the show at theenthuselife at gmail.com. So let's jump into Masters of the Universe Revelation. And, you know, when I think back, I mean, I was a kid of the 80s. <clears throat> I was, you know, kind of there right at the beginning of the 80s. Um, so I did live through He-Man. Now, it, I, it was on TV when I was a kid, you know, and I watched it, but my memories of the show are not as much as my memories of the toys. Like I, the toys were everything. I remember going in the store, wanting it one Christmas, I got Castle Grayskull and I got the, the toy. It was like, I don't know what it was, like a little uh, mountain where slime would come down on the guys. I mean, it was just like having the He-Man toys, that was it. You know, when I when I was young, young, you know, I was probably five, six years old. It was all you just wanted He-Man toys. Um, and so watching this series, which, uh, you know, of course, was uh, uh, written and directed by Kevin Smith. I think they even count him as an executive producer for this. Um, he really captured a lot of what those toys had, like a lot of the the style and everything of the show. You could see was pulled right from the toys, which of course, you know, you go back to any of those shows in the 80s and I mean, He-Man Masters of the Universe was no different. The whole show was just about selling toys. Uh, but it was a kind of a walk down memory lane, seeing a lot of the vehicles and that that they were riding. And, you know, I kind of forgot how the universe worked in this show, that it was both fantasy magic with technology. And like seeing that, I was like, man, this this is such a cool just concept. Like I kind of forgot that that's what the show was about. And I think it would be so neat. And I mean, I hate to pull it over to video games, but it would be so neat to watch or to play a game kind of in this world where you have that mix of, of magic and, and, uh, technology. And I mean, you have that in some games. I mean, hell, even like world of Warcraft, you have that right with all the little goblins that are creating all their little, uh, you know, contraptions and things like that. But like in this, 
it's even more so. I mean, you have guys shooting laser guns or, you know, driving these big vehicles that you would think of that are like out of G.I. Joe. But yet then you have, you know, Skeletor or, you know, one of the many other characters kind of casting spells and things like that. It just, I don't know, it, you know, evil in casting spells. Like, it's just very, very cool. Um, you know, the series itself, and I think, you know, a lot of people went into this expecting He-Man. And, and you know, I kind of said it before how Voltron... I loved Voltron on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, go watch Voltron. And what they were able to capture with that was like in your head, how you remember Voltron, the original Voltron was, oh my God, it was awesome. Same thing with He-Man. You think about it, it's like, oh my God, this show was so cool. But when you go and watch it now, it's kind of rough, right? Like it's it's not, not really how you remember. And Voltron, they were able to capture kind of the spirit of that, the epicness of that, and kind of they built just some epic moments in that show. They were able to do that. And I think they were still able to do that with this series. Just what differentiated this from Voltron was Voltron was a complete retelling. What was what I liked about this was that it wasn't that. It was like, hey, He-Man was a thing and it existed. And you may not remember how it ended. And it wasn't really episodic. You know, it was really more of a uh, serialized uh, or, you know, it was just kind of like episode to episode type show where they were just kind of, oh, here's the new villain of the week. Um, that's how the original He-Man was. But you know, they said, okay, well, let's let's just pretend that we remember that it was the whole thing serialized and you were, you know, there was a whole epic story. The first episode's like, okay, this is where they are today, now, you know, when we when we tune back in with these guys. And we're gonna kind of tell you a new story in this world. And the way they do it, I think, is awesome. Like I I really am all in on the way they're telling the story and kind of the the heroes that are kind of rising to the the occasion. I don't want to spoil anything because I want people to watch it because I think you kind of need to experience it. And I don't want you just to watch the first episode. Like you need to watch the whole thing and kind of see where they're going because, you know, there, there is has been a lot of backlash on the internet over the direction. I think so many people were jumping in thinking, I'm ready for He-Man. And you watch it and He-Man's in it. Oh, he is. But he very quickly becomes kind of a side character for a while. And um, I think it was bold. I think it was daring doing what they did. Um, but yet I think it makes sense because unlike Voltron, which <clears throat> you know kind of was like the forebearer to things like Power Rangers and things like that, where you could just kind of throw in some new characters and hey, they're all getting in robots and they become a giant robot machine, right? It's just super sci-fi, robots first monsters, fine. He-Man, you can't really use that same He-Man again. Like he, he is such a dated, such a known quantity of the 80s that kind of, I just, I don't know. I don't think you can really tell that story again, you know? And so I think by kind of picking up where they left off and then kind of having that path deviate is the smart move and was the smart move. And that's kind of what they do here. And, you know, again, I'm kind of dancing around really what they do. Um, but I, I think this was the smart way to do it. And I'm all in for it, especially where it ends. And, you know, on top of that, I mean, the the cast of this show, uh, you know, from Sarah Michelle Gellar playing Tila, you got Mark Hamill as Skeletor, uh, Liam Cunningham as Man-at-Arms, who, by the way, is the MVP of this whole show. Give me a Man-at-Arms show. I mean, the dude is just awesome. You forget how awesome he was. I mean, Henry Rollins was in there as Triclops. Um, such an awesome voice cast. 
And it seems like, you know, every single one of them are all about it. Because the other cool thing Netflix did was there's an after show. Don't watch it, of course, until you watch the whole thing because they kind of go behind the scenes and get everybody's thoughts on playing the characters. And, you know, I wish they did that more um, with with their shows. I mean, I remember with Chernobyl, like on HBO, they had that podcast. Um, A lot of these shows, you know, I mean, you listen even to me, face it. You know, listen, like, I wish we would get to that on Disney+. Plus. I mean, I guess we do with Assembled, right, for the Marvel shows, but I wish... Uh, and I guess, you know, we even do now with, with Star Wars too, with The Mandalorian, but like every show should do this. All I mean, everybody loves this, these conversations about like the creation of the show. It's such a cool thing to dive into. And, and they really do a great job here, I think, um, with Masters of the Universe, Revelation, kind of the after show. And the cool thing about this show is so much of it was done during the pandemic, I mean, the fact that they were able to put this out, that in itself was cool. I think um, when they're talking to Sarah Michelle Gellar and she's talking about, you know, her voice lines, I think she said she only was in the studio like one or two days and then they were sent home. So she was only able to record like that first episode and like that was it. And then other than that, it was, all right, we got to record, make a studio at home. And she was able to record that and, you know, to have the direction of, you know, directors while you're at home trying to, um, you know, put you through multiple takes on the series it's really cool they were able to kind of uh have it come out the way it did um so i'm all in i hope we don't have to wait too long for part two because this was part one and i hope we're not only going to get a part one and a part two i hope we get more um because kind of the the again this this world of this fantasy meets technology i think is great very very cool and they leave you on a hell of a cliffhanger that uh, i think is going to be Uh, Pretty interesting to see where they go next. So do me a favor. Go watch Masters of the Universe Revelation. Um, It's great. It does, if anything, if there's any knock against it, I think it moves super fast. It's only five episodes. Um, You know, I know, again, the pandemic probably played a part in that. I don't know if they only had planned on five, but things move very fast, kind of get to the end. And and, I mean, you watch it and it's it's quick. Um, But so I wish we got a little bit more, maybe a couple more episodes in there. But you know, maybe this condensed story may be the better way to go. Kind of what we're seeing with Bad Batch right now, where you're kind of having those filler episodes that kind of feel a little bit out of place and not right. Um, you know, maybe by condensing it down, kind of like they did with Revelation here, um, maybe that was a smart way to go. I don't know. But let me know your thoughts. Hit me up on Twitter or, or email me. I'd love to know what you thought of the series. Um, another show we watched this weekend, like I said, over on Disney Plus is Behind the Attraction. They dropped uh, five episodes of this, and this is uh, literally kind of what the name is. I kind of go behind uh, some of the attractions at Disneyland and Disney World. Uh, we watched the Haunted Mansion, Tower of Terror, and the Space Mountain episodes so far. There is a Jungle Cruise and Star Tours, so we're definitely going to jump into those. Um, but it's really cool uh, watching that, especially, I mean, the first one we watched was Haunted Mansion. It's our favorite uh, attraction at Disney World and kind of seeing the creation of it and, and you know, how they went from the original at Disneyland to then the one at Disney World. And same thing with Tower of Terror. You kind of get how they created not only the one at Disney World, but then the one at Disneyland. And then how they did the changeover to Guardians Mission Breakout, um, kind of converting it to that. It's just, just awesome kind of getting that behind-the-scenes look. And, you know, I love hearing the Imagineers talk about um, just their creations. And, and, you know, it's, it's cool getting insight from those older Imagineers from years ago and kind of the current day and how they do a lot today to honor what came before them and also even just kind of honor a lot of Walt's visions, you know, that he had kind of for what these attractions could be. Because a lot of these were already uh, kind of getting set up to be in place uh, before he passed away. Um, so it's kind of, which uh, is kind of crazy. I never knew the Haunted Mansion 
He never got to ride it. He never existed. Uh, he, you know, did some work on it uh, before his death, but he never actually was there for the opening of the Haunted Mansion, which was kind of interesting. I, I, I didn't know that. But uh, go watch, you know, just pick one of your favorite rides and watch it. I mean, I would recommend the Haunted Mansion one, definitely. Star Tours, I can't wait to watch, obviously, because of Star Wars. We haven't um, watched that one, but um, I'm sure it's going to be great kind of hearing how they um, hooked up with George Lucas, you know, at that time um, to kind of just hear how he brought his uh, his universe to life at Walt Disney World. Uh, can't wait to see that. Uh, now, one other thing we watched today, and I am going to recommend this, but I am going to really kind of recommend this maybe to a certain crowd. So as many of you know, like I said, I'm a kid of the 80s. Um, I've said it before, I just turned 40 this year. I graduated high school in 1999. And so that kind of end of the 90s, you know, halfway of the 90s generation was me in high school. And then the early 2000s was college for me. Um, There was a festival that happened in 1999, Woodstock 99. I lived in Albany, New York, right outside Albany. Uh, the, uh, new Woodstock, which I'm sure you all know Woodstock, right? Woodstock 69, Woodstock 94. Fortunately, I didn't get to go to 94. I had a buddy who went with his dad and I was begging my parents to please let me go with him. Nope. Couldn't go. So in 99, I had just graduated high school, was working, getting set for college and so wanted to go to Woodstock 99. Like, God, I wanted to go so bad. I mean, I was dating my wife at the time. She really had no interest in going, just knowing how miserable it was going to be. God, I wanted to go so bad, but I had to work. And believe me, there was a a moment where it was like, I'm just going to not go to work and probably lose my job, but I'm going to go to Woodstock 99, right? It was was only about an hour away from where we lived. Didn't go. But Chris, who used to do the podcast with me here, he um, got it on pay-per-view. So I went over to Chris's house and we watched it. Like I'd get out of work over there and we'd kind of watch what's going on there. And, uh, so we watched the Limp Biscuit set and the, you know, uh, the very end, the last night when the chili peppers were playing all that, we watched all that on pay-per-view and also his brother was there. So we were kind of like, you know, man, I wonder what Pete, his brother, Pete, like what, where's Pete? You know, I wonder, you know, he's going to be part of all this craziness. And if you don't know the story of Woodstock 99 and kind of the reason why I'm talking about this right now is it pretty much became a train wreck very, very quickly. And there's a new documentary out on HBO Max that my wife and I watched Saturday night um, called Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. And it's essentially what went wrong at Woodstock 99. And in watching it, you know, obviously it was great getting insight into really what happened there. I I don't want to go too deep into it because I don't know how many of you are really interested in it. And I would like for you just to watch it because it's super interesting. Um, <clears throat> but long story short, first two Woodstocks were all about love and peace, right? And, and bringing people together and loving your fellow man and all that. And one of the things the creators of Woodstock had a problem with was both of them in 69 and in 94, they had little fences around it. Well, the fences came down and people just poured in, which is part of the mythology of Woodstock, right? Like, everybody come just enjoy the music. But the the creators were like, hey, we, we're losing money. And they were all, you know, they lost money on ticket sales when people would do that, which, I mean, sure, they made a hell of enough money as it was, but nope, we lost money. And one of them said, hey, you know, 94 was a success regardless, but we could probably do this every five years because there's always going to be another batch of high school students like myself or college kids, you know, that are in college ready to graduate. There's always a new batch and they kind of always have their own music. Right. And so I was kind of that perfect demographic and what's kind of shocking now, and not really shocking. Cause I mean, I lived through it, but like when you watch this documentary, the cool thing is they don't only go into 
the festival, but they also just go into kind of society at that time. And, you know, what was kind of the, the, the pervasive like mindset. And, you know, you think like early nineties you had and, and kind of and tying it to music and even politics and all that, like early nineties you had, um, you know, bands like Nirvana that just totally changed music and was showing people like music can make a difference, right? It can really change things in people's minds. You had all these indie bands coming up. So you had like REM and, <clears throat> you know, Radiohead and all these things. But as we got to the late 90s, you know, it got to the point of all these hard rock bands that admittedly I love because this was my generation, right? But when you look at the bands they booked for Woodstock 99, for me, all the bands I love but you can't help but say, I can see why things went down. You know, you had bands like Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, Kid Rock, Metallica, Godsmack, like all these just hardcore bands that, you know, were there just fueling rage and angry, even though there was nothing for people to be angry about society-wise per se, because, you know, would they even go into it? Politics, I mean, we had, you know, so much inflation, the... the economy was great here in the United States. There was so much just extra money for people to buy things and all that. It was great in the late 90s, man. But in society, you had this rage-induced music, you know, and they even go into, and this is kind of what what I was saying was kind of disturbing, was like, you know, they go into how like women were treated in the late 90s and you had like girls gone wild and you had the rise of like pornography and all that like on the internet and and how, you know, really kind of when like the pay-per-view of Woodstock was out, there was kind of this like idea of like, hey, show a lot of these women that are topless. And like, and I don't want to go too deep into things like that, but like that really is what fueled a lot of this. And it's just like, it's disturbing to watch that now and think like, you know what? That's how things were. I mean, it's literally a complete opposite of where we are today. You know, you look at the mindset of that music festival, people were there just to go crazy with a free pass to say, it doesn't matter how I treat these women. It doesn't matter if I break things. I'm here to do that. But then the other disturbing thing, and to bring it back to the founders of Woodstock, was the whole fence idea. They chose to have this at Griffiths Air Force Base, which was an Air Force Base that had been abandoned for five or 10 years at that point. So here they are on a bunch of abandoned runways on concrete in the middle of the summer, almost 100 degrees out there without just the heat off the the runways, didn't have enough water, didn't have the proper facilities, you know, we're charging $4 at least for a bottle of water. It was just the perfect scenario for a tragedy. And it really was like you, you watch back. I mean, people were falling out, um, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but women were getting, you know, sexually assaulted. It was just it was a terrible, terrible thing that, you know, in hindsight now, how could it not happen? You know, and, and this documentary is, is fantastic. It really kind of goes through each of the pieces and they kind of go through each of the days and how things just were progressively getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, I highly recommend it if you were somebody who kind of lived through that. And if you weren't, if you were maybe too young at the time, I think you still may find it somewhat interesting to kind of see maybe why we kind of are where we are today. And, and thank God we are where we are today, especially, I mean, we're, we're not all the way there yet. We've made progress and, you know, why maybe progress is important. You watch something like this and say, yeah, pro- we need to keep keep on this path and make sure that things go right, you know, because we can't let like a Woodstock 99 happen again. I think it's kind of what it boils down to. It's it's uh, super interesting and um, 
it's on HBO Max. I mean, I'm sure, you know, if you have HBO, it's even, you know, on just uh, regular HBO at some point, but it is on HBO Max, I know. So I would highly recommend if you are interested at all in that, that it probably would be something you might, um, might find interesting. So, um, yeah, go check it out. Well, with that, guys, that's going to do it for me today. Uh, we'll see what we'll be talking about tomorrow. I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of good stuff. Actually, EA Play happened a couple days ago. We'll be diving into that maybe a little bit tomorrow. So we'll have some other good entertainment, video game news, all that good stuff, as always. So until then, everybody, have a great rest of your day. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at MarkTurk at M-A-R-K-T-U-R-C. You can always hit me up. Uh, email me, theenthuselife at gmail.com. I'd love to know your thoughts. Did you guys watch Masters of the Universe? That's really the big thing. I want to know, did you watch it? What are your thoughts? Because it seems to be a very divisive series. But like I said, for me, I think it, it just makes sense doing what they're doing. It's it's um, it's the right way to go, I think. So, uh, again, uh, hit me up and uh, let me know. So, until tomorrow, guys, have a great rest of your day. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.